Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Chris kicks off our new series we're calling The Undivided Self. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Chris. My name is Chris Thompson. I am the uh, student's pastor here at South Harbor, which has been uh, an honor and privilege of mine uh, to be doing now for the past uh, almost year on January 3rd. It'll be a year that my wife and I uh, made the move back from Chicago to be here with you all, and it has been uh, incredible to be here thus far. Um, And so as I get started this morning, what I've learned in being here over the past year and talking with all of you is at some point... Uh, you all have come to church here not knowing exactly what God was going to say to you that morning. Uh, And that may be you this morning. It may just be another part of your routine where you woke up and said, hey, it's the last Sunday of the year, maybe we should go, or you've been coming every week for the past year, you've been in somewhere in between there. I don't know why God brought you here this morning or why you felt the urge to be here, but uh, what I do firmly believe is God has a purpose and a reason for you being here this morning. And so as we talk through the scriptures, my prayer has been this past week and will continue to be through uh, this sermon that God will speak into your hearts, especially as we get started into the new 2024 uh, year together. So uh, in order to start, I want to ask a question to all of you. Uh, how many of you, when you were growing up, wanted to be a superhero of some kind, right? Some people wanted to be firefighters, nurses, doctors. Some of us who grew up with Saturday morning cartoons wanted to be superheroes like Batman uh, or Superman right? or Spider-Man, right? Like, Uh, Some of us grew up on Saturday morning cartoons. These are who I remember Batman and Spider-Man looking like. Uh, For some of you, you grew up on the OG comics, like back when comics were first coming out, and you couldn't wait to go to the comic book store to get like the newest Justice League for 60 cents, which is crazy, or the newest Avengers for 12 cents. Uh, I had a friend, I I had a teacher of mine in high school uh, who was a huge comic book collector, and I did not realize that there was a ton of money in comic books. But like he had so many, he had like hundreds of thousands of dollars of comic books that he just like collected over the course of his life. And he had them entrusted in his will to his kids that said like he couldn't, they couldn't sell them for like 20 years after he died or something. It's crazy. Anyways, some of you grew up on comic books like Justice League, The Avengers. Some of you are a bit younger and you grew up on superheroes in the movies through like the Dark Knight trilogy or the Avengers Infinity War, which is one of the best movies like the arcs of all time spanning like 15 years, which is just cinema brilliance if you kind of break it down and think about it. Uh, But there's something really intriguing about superheroes that we all look forward to, right? If we go back to Batman and Spider-Man, Batman and Spider-Man are perfect examples of superheroes, right? They are ordinary in some ways people, right? Bruce Wayne is Batman. He's this billionaire philanthropist. Like, he's very charismatic. He, I mean, that's not normal, but, like, he is human, right? That's the thing that connects us to him, right? He is a human being. He has all these emotions, these feelings, these worries that he has uh, in life. And yet, on the flip side of that, he's got, like, this dark, mysterious, brooding side. When he was younger, his parents got killed, and now he's like the vengeful, spiteful superhero who wants to do everything he can to make sure no crime uh, continues in his city of Gotham. And you have Spider-Man on the other side, this like kind of dorky teenage kid who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and now like is still going through all of the teenage craziness of like falling in love with Mary Jane and all of the like t- 
teenage struggles of being bullied and picked on, and yet he's got this alternate identity of being the superhero who's got spidey sense and can sense when crime is happening in, in his city, right? Uh, all of these superheroes live these kind of double lives, right? On the one hand, they're these human beings with thoughts and feelings and human emotions, and on the other side, they're torn with this way of living. Uh, I also ask the question, like I think some people do in life, like what would happen if I was given my superhero moment, right? Like would I rise to the occasion of being uh, a superhero? And I kid you not, as I was thinking about this, three weeks ago I had my superhero moment that I wanna tell you about, uh, which is pretty crazy. So my wife and I, we moved into a place about two months ago, we're redoing kind of this basement area to be kind of like a fun craft area for the kids, a sewing room for my wife, like board game area, it's, it's really fun, but we needed some storage and so we were, Going to a thrift store, the rustic, or is it Barn, I think it is, down on 68th Street there. Some people are nodding their heads. They love that place. It goes to support Pine Rest. It's a great, great spot. So we're going there. We were picking up like this dresser bookshelf combination, right? Put it in the back of the van. We were going to go up to Rockford to visit my family for a family dinner, and then we were going to walk down like a light path. Super fun. Uh, So we're driving back to get on 131 to go to Rockford, and we pull up to the light at 68th and Division like you normally do. You stop, you wait your turn, and then you go through, and I don't know if you've ever like had this moment where you've witnessed an accident happen in front of you, but it's like one of the weirdest things where like if you hear it first, you're like, oh dear Lord, I, I hope that car is not gonna hit me next. Like it sounds super close. Uh, that's exactly what happened. We pull through the intersection and we hear that like crunch of like the metal. You, if you've heard this before, you know what I'm talking about. It's a terrifying Sound because immediately you start looking around like, okay, what happens? Did I need to do I need to call nine one one? Like, did I witness this? Do I know what happened? Do I have any information to give to them? This is exactly what happened. Uh, except uh, in front of us, there's a car coming towards us and a car pulling kind of out, and one of the cars hit in the front, but then didn't just like ricochet off, like went up and over, and then like flipped over onto like its hood and skidded to a stop, like a stop, like two cars in front of us. Uh, at the intersection. And it was this crazy moment of like, all right, we got to throw it in park. Like, what are we going to do? Adrenaline's coursing through our body. I get out and there's a ton of people coming around, but everyone's got like their phones out, like looking at the, looking at the accident instead of like hopping in. So I'm like, okay, like superhero mode taking over. Like we're running up, me and this other guy. And we're like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And this guy says, yeah, I'm okay. But like, I need help getting out or whatever. And so we throw open the back door just to make sure there's like no kids in the backseat or whatever. There was nobody in there. And so we try to get the front door open, but it like only comes open like this far. And so me and this other guy are like, all right, we're going Hulk mode on this door. We got to get it open. And so we just like heave it open. And this guy eventually rolls out. He was totally fine. Maybe had a concussion, but uh, he was totally fine uh, in the end. But that was like my superhero moment. Like I've waited, you know, 33 years of my life. Like what would I do in this moment where uh, would I rise to the occasion or what? like... I didn't know what my moment was going to be. Was it going to be getting a cat out of a tree or like, you know, mine was getting the guy out of a flipped upside down car, you know? And so it's just this really crazy moment of like feeling what it would have been like to be a superhero. But here's the thing about most superheroes. Uh, Eventually in life, after looking for those moments or having to live into that identity for so long, we see each and every single one of them live this sort of divided life. And we see each of them get really, really, really tired. Take Batman and Spider-Man, for example. Batman, again, is this rich billionaire philanthropist who wants to do all of this good in the world. 
And take the Dark Knight trilogy, for example. At the beginning, he's this really like, he's super excited to do all of this. He's putting all this money into doing what he does. And by the third movie, it starts out with nobody having heard from Bruce Wayne in a long time. He's become a hermit. He's tired. He's exhausted. This living a divided life has made him so tired that he doesn't want anything to do with anyone else. He feels like he's living this divided life and doesn't know how to be fully human anymore. Peter Parker, Spider-Man, he falls in love. He wants to be with this woman, Mary Jane. Like he has all of these hopes and ambitions and he always feels like torn and pulled into like being involved in school, but then having to like run out and his life is just so chaotic and he becomes exhausted and tired over time at points wishing he didn't have this burden anymore. And so superheroes live a very divided life. Trust me, I know. But many of us, like superheroes, you probably know where I'm going, uh, we live divided lives all the time. While we might not be superheroes uh, in our own way, we live so many different lives that maybe we don't even realize. And some of us coming into the end of 2023 might be feeling exhausted, might feel like just giving up, might feel like saying, hey, it's not worth it anymore living that way. What do I need to do to live an undivided life? And so as we go into the year 2024, we wanted to start with this series to help us. We just recognize this is how we live a lot of our lives, and we want to help us be on that path to living a less divided life. And so here's why I love the scriptures, uh, because they speak to many situations just like we are going through. There's people throughout all of the scriptures who felt like they were living uh, a very divided life, especially in the early churches. They were trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus when they had this old way of living life, and now they had this Messiah and Savior. Like, how do I live an undivided life when I have so many different ways of how I once used to know how to live? And so the scriptures we're going to be looking at this morning come from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 23. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. Uh, If you have a Bible app, you can fire up your phone, scroll with me through it. Uh, But to set the stage for us, uh, every story has a beginning, and we can't really understand why somebody is saying something without digging into the context in the beginning a little bit. And so uh, for the book of 1 Corinthians, this is the first letter that a guy named Paul writes to a church that he founded in the city of Corinth. Paul, if you don't know who Paul is, uh, he is one of the first early converts to Christianity. He has this moment on a road where Jesus meets him, and he was somebody who was persecuting the church pretty heavily, and now he's kind of turned, and he becomes this sort of church planter, if you will, throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. He goes and he plants churches telling people about the good news of Jesus rather than persecuting Christians like he was. And so Paul is writing to this group of people in Corinth that he knows extremely well. Uh, He spent about a year and a half with this community, setting up the church here, and he did this strategically because he knew Corinth was a major port city throughout the world. Ports were the main source of travel that would get you anywhere in the world. The port now is kind of like our modern day airport. It can get you anywhere super quickly, uh, and that's why he wanted to plant a church there. Uh, In this major port city, there were lots of temples to Greek and Roman gods uh, because it was formally founded by uh, retiring uh, military veterans from the Roman Empire, and it was in the nation of Greece, the hub of the Greek 
uh, and Greco and Roman world. Uh, it was also a huge economic hotspot uh, in order to get anywhere from Northern Greece or the rest of the Mediterranean to Southern Greece. You had to go through Corinth. You had to unload your stuff kind of down there uh, where it says Dialkos down there and then transport it down to Isthmia, which is all a part of kind of the Corinth area to transport throughout the world. And so this was an extremely lucrative area uh, in the world, so much so it had its own form of architecture that was deemed to be one of the most ornate and articulate and meticulous forms of architecture called Corinthian architecture uh, of the time. And so Paul spends a year and a half there in in the city of Corinth starting this church, and then he decides to leave. He said, all right, this church is set up. It's good to go. My work is somewhere else. So he starts to leave, and he goes all throughout kind of Greece and Turkey and the world around kind of Israel area and the Mediterranean area. Uh, He starts setting up other churches, but it's kind of one of those things like he left it and was like, all right, this thing's going to thrive. It's going to do well. Like if any of you have ever been business owners or entrepreneurs, you go and you set up a business and you're like, all right, it's time to move on from this. But then you start to hear, hey, things are not going so well over in this area anymore. Paul starts to get word uh, that there are some divisions starting to happen. People are starting to take sides on things. They're not starting to see eye to eye, the church is being undivided, is being divided, and people's lives, they're really struggling with like, how do I assimilate who I was with what now my new life is calling me to be? And so the first four chapters, he talks about the divisions of who they follow and the teachings that they follow. And each time there's a division, he kind of says, hey, here's the problem, and here's how the gospel solves this problem. Uh, in chapters five through seven, he talks about intimate relationships with other people and visiting temple prostitutes and like family member things. It's a, it's a wild section of scripture where Paul, again, addresses the issue and then says, hey, here's how we live kind of more of an undivided life, how we live a more holistic life. And he does this in chapters eight through 10 as well, which is what we're talking about. He talks about uh, this really big thing for uh, the Jewish people, uh, this idea of what they eat, how they eat it, where their food comes from. Now, while this might not be something we think about a lot, other than like, did you get like 80-20 beef or 93-7 beef? Like, they worried a lot about the sourcing of where their food came from. And this caused divisions among them. Some people said, yeah, 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 we're fine. Some people said, no, 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 we can't eat this at all. And, and it was ca- causing all of this sort of divide in there. And so out of all the ones listed above, this is probably the easiest one for us to digest. All right, I thought that would hit a little differently. Sweet. Uh, So it's going to be the easiest for us to kind of take in, and then we'll kind of move on and see how this applies to our life, because food really isn't something that we worry a whole lot about in the same way they did. Uh, So hear these words from the book that we love. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23. Uh, We'll start there. Uh, Paul writes... Uh, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of consciousness. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? 
If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that, may be, so that many may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, friends, this is the word of the Lord. So let's start. Perfect. I love it. It's catching on. It's good. Uh, all right. Let's start at the beginning. Verse 23. Uh, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is uh, constructive. Paul starts his portion of scripture here by referring back to something he already has used as a term or a turn of phrase with the Corinthian people. He uses this in chapter six uh, when talking to the church about their visits to the temple prostitutes earlier. Uh, this phrase, I have the right to do anything, kind of seems to have become a sort of idiom or motif for the Corinthian church. It's something that they like, kind of use as like a comeback. Like if somebody told them not to do something, they would say, well, hey, I have the right to do anything, right? Like I can, like, I can do this. I, I'm okay to do this as a follower of Christ. They were referring back to something that they deemed as their Christian freedom. They would have the ability to do whatever they wanted because Christ had covered over a multitude of their sins and they couldn't be affected by sin anymore. Uh, Paul may be taken partly to blame for this because he talks a lot about Christian freedom. The book, almost the whole book of Romans is about this idea of Christian freedom. How do we live a freer life as Christians than anyone else uh, in the world. And so they had basically taken his idea and kind of twisted it. Many commentators will say that they've twisted it into a form of like triumphalist theology, which basically means that because they are in Christ, sin can no longer touch them. And therefore, everything is permissible to them without any repercussions. The logic goes that because Christ died and he took the sins with him and he defeated death and sin no longer has an effect on them, they can do whatever they want. They can participate in whatever pleasures they want in the world because they are in Christ and they can no longer sin, right? As we kind of develop theology, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but think if you were first becoming a Christian and theology wasn't really explored a whole lot yet. This makes a lot of good sense. And to some of, like this, if there was a way to live in the world and get everything you wanted, have your cake and eat it too, like this would be the way to do it, right? To believe this sort of theology, uh, to which Paul kind of says like, yeah, like sort of, but while you all have freedom in Christ, not everything is beneficial. Like you have to think about, is this really good for the people that are around me? Is this really good for me? Well, well, yes, I guess if you want to construe it that way, that like sin doesn't affect you, is it still really like good for your life though? Like, is it, is it actually beneficial but he goes on one further. He doesn't just like say, no, 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 you shouldn't just avoid those things. Like if I've learned anything through having kids, it's if I tell them like, no, don't do something, like what's the first thing they wanna do? Immediately go and do it. Don't touch the stove. What does my son do? That goes and touches the stove, right? Like all of these things, like it, just because you can do it doesn't mean it would be beneficial for you. And so he doesn't just rebuke them. What he does is he takes it one step further. So he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Uh, Paul, what he's trying to do is not just be somebody who's rebuking, 
But what he's trying to do is give people a different way of looking at life. Rather than aiding in the creation of division, saying, hey, don't do this, but like they're gonna go and do it in secret. What he's trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, here's how you can live a more undivided life. Rather than just avoiding and creating a different way of living, what if we looked at it in such a way that was, how do we help this be beneficial for other people? How do we help this be something that builds others up? This is also the second time that he mentioned this. In this passage of verse eight, or chapters eight through 10, he starts his section in verse one, where he talks about the idea that the Christian life is all about love that builds up. And so it's only right that he ends his same section with that same turn of phrase, that, that essentially what he's saying is that the Christian life is about being beneficial and loving others with love that helps build them up. This is why he says again for the second time in a little different words, nobody should seek their own good, but the good of others. But here's where Paul starts to turn the corner a little bit in verse 25. Pause for a second with me before we get there though. We have to remember about the early church is that they were not Americans who all of a sudden were becoming Christians with all of the commentaries, all of the theologies, all of the dictionaries, the scriptures right in their hands where they could pour over these things and read over them. Uh, The people that they were primarily, he was primarily trying to reach when he came to Corinth were groups of Jewish people who had moved there for various different reasons, whether persecution or business or being a merchant, whatever it was, they moved there for a specific reason. And so Jesus is trying to reach out to an early sect of Judaism, which slowly became called the way. So these people were trying to figure out what it meant to live with their Jewish heritage and understanding of the world, including all of the laws that that came with and following this risen savior, Jesus Christ, who has given them freedom in him. And so for many of these people, the meat that's being talked about uh, is a big deal because uh, for them to hear that they could eat anything would have been hard to swallow. There's a couple more in there, just pay attention for them. Would have been hard for them to swallow. And for them, it was a touchy subject as was a few things Paul talks about with these believers. Uh, the other being circumcision. But Paul is talking much, he's taking a much more relaxed stance on this issue than many people within Judaism would have liked him to. And so you can see that already Paul, who is, in his, who is Jewish to his core, is beginning to reconcile and realize that in Christ, there is this undivided way to live life when you follow the way. Which is why he says in verse 25, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Paul takes a relaxed stance and he says again in verse 26, the reason why he says this is because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul is a smart guy. Like I wish I could be smart on my feet like him and think super deeply and intelligently like he could with the scriptures. He's quoting an old passage from the book of Psalms. It's ancient for even them at this time. And he does something really interesting here. Psalm 24 verse one says the same exact thing that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Early Jewish rabbis uh, took this idea as a way that they said, hey, if everything is in the world, even everything that we eat, it is, it is a part of the Lord, it is given to us as the Lord, and they would use this as a blessing before every single meal because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The meal was meant to be blessed. And so Paul, in his brilliance, he's almost certainly reflecting the Jewish use of this text for the blessings over meals, essentially saying, So what if it's sacrificed in a temple? 
So what if it was used in such a way that would bring shame to uh, your heritage? The reality is that it is still God's and we will bless it as such. And for this reason, Paul is saying that the food can be eaten with thanksgiving and joy. And so after Paul quotes these ancient rabbinic uh, blessings from Psalm 24, verse one, he then gives us two examples of opportunities where they may be forced to try and think about how do we live an undivided life in these situations. Uh, The first one is someone who is an unbeliever who invites you over for dinner. The second is uh, if a believer mentions while you're over at their house for dinner that the meat that you brought has been sacrificed uh, and they have an issue with it, don't eat it. Uh, Again, keep in mind that Paul said in verse 23, to live a more unified life, you have to live in love that builds others up. And so while this may seem like he's saying, hey, live a divided life, what he's actually saying is, no, live more of how Christ would want you to live in each of these situations so that we may bring more people uh, to Christ. So the first one, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you wanna go eat whatever is put before you without raising any questions of conscience, he says, go ahead and do it. Uh, Because think about what would have happened if all of the believers in Corinth who had all of these different ways of living life, right? You have temples over here to Greek gods, Roman gods. You have wealth and abundance. Like you have all of these things. You had this way of life that you once lived that you're trying to reconcile. And you have all of these people that you were in life doing life with. And now all of a sudden it's like, am I being asked to pull all of that apart? Like, can I never see those people Uh, Again, are they gonna essentially say like, nah, we can't eat with you anymore because of where and how you got your food? Uh, Paul essentially is saying, no, that that would actually lead you to live a more divided life, a more unhealthy life, a less Christ-like life. What he's saying and said is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, eat with this person. Don't divide your life and ostracize your friends, your family, um, and others, turning them off to potentially hearing about who Christ is. And the second one is that if somebody comes and you're at their house or they come over to your house and they, someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one you told, or that told you and for the sake of consciousness, don't eat it. Uh, remember that a lot of these people are coming in and they're trying to figure out life. And for some of these individuals uh, who are trying to figure out in their first kind of throes of Christianity, Uh, how to live their life while still being Jewish, it could have actually been a really bad thing and could have actually led them away from Christ had they eaten too early on in that relationship with someone. Uh, We do this kind of all of the time with things, right? Like when we think about stuff, uh, it's not a perfect metaphor or analogy, but we do it with products that are made today, right? We worry about the sourcing and where they came from. And I know it's not perfect, but like as we think about the products that we use regularly, we wonder about, well, where did this come from? Was it used out of ex- exploitative uh, workforce? Like, was it, like, was there child labor used? Like, we worry about these things all of the time. It's not a perfect metaphor, but it's kind of similar in terms of what their thinking uh, is. And so in this case, Paul is saying, hey, if this is gonna be a stumbling block and someone for someone, don't eat it. Be Christ-like. Uh, uh, lost my place in my notes. Hold on, give me one second. Okay, here we go. Uh, this, ultimately, what he's trying to do is say, I want you to live an undivided life like Paul is. And he's instructing them to do so in such a way that meets people where they are at. Uh, no one is doing this for their own personal gain, 
Remember, Paul has instructed his people in Corinth to live a life that builds up everyone for the sake of the kingdom. Paul's ultimate goal for the early church and for us is to instruct us in such a way that we live an undivided life, that the person that we are at church, the person that we are at home, the person that we are at work is all the same and all points towards Christ. He is instructing them how to live a more unified, Christ-centered, other-centered, building others up sort of way. It's why he finishes his section and is written the way that it is. He writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow Christ. So what does a passage on eating meat have to do with us? While we might not have to worry about food being sacrificed in a temple somewhere that may cause us to stumble, uh, we do have many areas of our lives as Christians that have our own distinct divides uh, in culture. Uh, like some of these examples, we talked about superheroes, right? We love uh, superheroes. Um, some people would say, well, as Christians, like we need to have our own sorts of superheroes. So we come up with people like Bible man, Right? Does anybody remember Bible Man? It's great. I think it got canceled after two seasons, probably because it was terrible. But uh, we think about, like, this one even further. Like, we have these mints, right? We TikTok, or Tic Tacs, Tic Tacs, Tic Tacs. Everybody loves Tic Tacs, right? Like, it's the fun little, you know, it's the only thing I've ever stolen from a store was a pack of Tic Tacs when I was younger. It's crazy. Uh, but we come up with our own things, testaments, right? Like, we do this all the time. We're trying to make sense of our own world. Like, how do we live in our world? How do we live in a way that builds people up, right? We do this all the time with music, right? We have music, but we have Christian music. We have movies, but we have Christian movies. We have education, but we have Christian education. And I mention these not to, like, accuse anyone of viewing any of these in, in like, certain ways, but while we think about, like, old ways of living life, we're all trying to figure out how do we live a unified life. And for some, that's being really involved in music. For some, that's being really involved in Christian music. And how do we live in such a way that doesn't alienate others? And how do we live a really unified life? These are just some of the things that we might struggle with in the same way that Paul and his church did. But I want to make it a little bit more personal. I want to do a little bit um, of an experiment, a thought exercise. Um, but I want to pray for us before we do this, because it's going to be like, it's, I'm gonna give you some things to think about personally as you as an individual, as you think about going into the new year uh, as wanting to become somebody who's a little bit more uh, undivided. So let me pray for you and then we'll do like a five minute like experiment and then we'll um, wrap up. God, we come before you in this moment uh, to do some work on our own hearts uh, as we think about the work that Paul was calling the Corinthian church to, to live an undivided uh, life and the struggle that it was for them. We recognize that in our own lives, in our own ways, whether it's at work or home or trying to live multiple different uh, ways to please everybody that um, might be hard and exhausting. We might be tired, kind of barely crawling across the finish line of 2023. We just, uh, we just wanna give this time over to you um, to work in only the ways that you can on our hearts. And so, God, we give this time over to you. We love you, and we'll talk to you soon. Amen.
Um, on the screen behind me, you're gonna see a list of over 50 different values um, that you have. I believe that God has called each and every single one of you uh, to be somebody really unique, really important, and really influential in someone's lives. Uh, I think the, the goal of what Paul is trying to tell us to do is to live an undivided life, is to live as someone who is loving and building others up. How would we do that as Paul follows Christ? And so there's a list of all of these on the screen. I want you to think of like two, three, four, or five of them that you've seen that you would say like, as I go into 2024, or as I think about who I am, uh, these would be the values that I would love to exude in my life. I feel like these are who God has uniquely called me to be in each of my contexts. Uh, you'll see a bunch of them on the screen, openness, peace, self-respect, service, success. There's a whole bunch of them before that. Think of like two, three, four, five of them. If you have notes, write them down or just remember them in your head. And now I wanna ask you a couple questions about these. Why has God given you those values to think about in your life? There has to be a reason why God has given you the list of those on the screen. It could be that that's who God has made you to be. That's maybe who you've always felt God wanted you to be, but you couldn't quite get there or haven't been able to get there uh, yet. Why has God given you those values to think about in your life? How, the next question, how can you live into those values more in this next year? How can you live into those values more this next year? Do you feel that each of these values is fully present in all areas of your life? Uh, and the fourth question, and if not, um, where can you live more unified in who God has made you to be slash wants you to be? And I think one of the kickers, the last question is, would the closest people to you say that these are your values as well? So as you go through this week, remember those values that you have. God, I think, is calling you in really unique ways to be someone who's living an undivided life in this next section or this next section of your life, to be someone who is using those values, using that perception, that, that point of view that you have, the way that you live your life in all areas of your life, to be someone who is building up and loving others deeply in the way that Paul called the Corinthian church to do. And so throughout this series, we're gonna talk about a whole bunch of different areas of your life. Today is just kind of laying the groundwork uh, for the rest of our series. We're gonna talk about family and friends and work and all of these different areas of how we can do exactly that, how we can be more unified uh, in the way we live our life so that Christ can be made known to everyone. The good news for all of us is that the gospel gives us an opportunity uh, to live undivided, to show up the same way in every relationship and to live and love like Jesus did in all the spaces that you find yourself so I'm really excited for this next section. Continue to think about those things as we go back and read through this passage uh, again, and we uh, will continue to dive into this in this next year, and I'm really excited for it for us as a church and for our community. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for um, just digging into your word this morning, for understanding who you have called us to be, uh, calling us to a less divided life that can just be exhausting sometimes. And so as we think about and we ponder and we meditate on who you have called us to be this week, uh, would you give us ways already that we can begin working to be a more unified version of ourself that is loving and building other people up in the way that you called uh, 
uh, your church in Corinth to do thousands of years ago. So God, be our guide. Uh, would, your lamp, or would your word be a lamp into our feet? And would you guide our paths as we become more like your son? So God, we love you. Um, we'll talk to you soon. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.